Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to continue talking about... Good, two people know. That's very good. That's very encouraging. All right, we're going to talk about uh, pictures of the cross in the Old Testament. Last week we spoke from Ruth, and now we're jumping to First uh, Samuel. I think uh, we're going to move a whole lot faster now. Uh, there's a couple of books in the Bible that we're going to stay in for a long time still, but we're going to be moving a lot. There's a lot of pictures that we can see in the Old Testament, but for me, the way I look at the scripture is I don't want to take a text that not 100% a picture of Christ and try to twist it more than it should be. You know what I mean? Like I want to choose the ones that it's really hard to argue that these are pictures of, of Jesus dying on our behalf on the cross. Some people say you have to find Jesus in every chapter in the Bible. I don't think you can. You know, and I think when you try to do that, you end up twisting the scripture a whole lot more than what the text is actually saying. Amen? So, uh, I don't approach the scripture this way. So, uh, you might find other examples. I might be wrong, but I'm going to try to pick the ones that I would say I personally feel uh, fairly confident that these are pictures of the cross. And we can uh, explain it um, from that perspective. So, we actually arrived to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And this is a very common story if you're familiar with the Bible. Bible, the story of David and Goliath. Amen? Yes. If you, um, if you don't know, the children of Israel, God led them out of Egypt by the hand of Moses, and then Joshua was Moses' successor, and they ended up inheriting the promised land. God was the king of Israel, and Israel was not supposed to have a king, but Israel started looking around and saw that every nation around them has a king. And they start complaining to God and say, hey, we want a king too. Samuel was the prophet at that time. So they went to Samuel and say, hey Samuel, we want a king just like everybody else. And Samuel was not pleased with that because God was their king, but Israel wanted a physical king. And Samuel told them, it's like, this king going to take your sons to be his servants, take your daughters to be his maids, and he's going to take your money. It's not going to be a good deal to you. But they didn't care. They said, everybody else has a king. We want a king. Samuel was upset. God was not happy about it. But God said, hey, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Long story short, the first king in Israel was Saul. Correct. Saul is the one that was appointed to be king, first king over Israel. And he was not, not a man after God's heart. He sinned against God a couple of times. God ended up just getting him out of the way. And God appointed a second person, somebody after his own heart, who became king after Saul. And his name was... David. Now, when Saul knew kind of that David is the one who's going to take that kingdom, Saul was not happy and he chased David for so long, right? And um, to try to get David, to kill David really, so he cannot inherit that kingdom. The story that we're in here is this. The context is this. So, uh, Saul was still king over Israel and David was at this point... Well, I can't remember. I think he was already anointed at this point to be king. I'm not 100% sure. I need to go back and look into it. But I think he was. Um, um, Saul was king. And then uh, it happened that 
the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, and the Palestinians, who are the people that God even commanded to annihilate long time ago and they didn't obey, are getting into a war. Okay? And it seems like from the context of the story is this, that there was a valley in between and Israel was on one side and uh, the Palestinians were on the other side. And I think that's the concept of war back then. They just stand against each other, ready for the war. And what happened is the Palestinians, I'm going to tell you the story because we're going to pick up some verses from that chapter. We're not going to read the whole thing. The Palestinians send out this gigantic guy whose name was Goliath. And he dared Israel and Saul. And he said, you know what? What is the point of two armies fighting together? Just get me one man. He's like, I'll make you a deal. Get me one man. If he kills me, then you guys won. If I kill him, then we have one. And we don't have to go into a fight together. And the Bible said that when that happened, Saul, the king, and all the children of Israel got terrified. We're going to look at that guy. He was gigantic, about maybe 10 feet tall. We're going to talk about that. Uh, everybody got scared and everybody went hiding. And the Bible said that for 40 days, every day and every, mo every morning and every night, Goliath will come out, dare and mock and challenge and uh, subdue the children of Israel and even curse them by their God too and just say, you know, where is your God? Your God can save you? Let me, let me see what he can do. I think he cursed them by their God when David came out. But anyways, he was subduing them. He was mocking them for 40 days every day and every night. Now, David has three brothers who were part of the army at that time, were soldiers. None of them went out. And then David's father told David, go check on your brothers. So David goes there. Uh, David was a, 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 a shepherd. He was just attending few sheep. And he went to check on his brothers. And when he went to the field, to the battlefield, he heard Goliath mocking the children of Israel and mocking the the God of Israel. Amen? So David got jealous for the sake of God and he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to volunteer to kill that guy. So King Saul said, oh great, great. So he put his helmet on him, he put his sword and all the king's clothes and like become very like fortified to go to face Goliath. But David could not walk because he's, remember, he's a little kid. I think he was about 17 years old that time, okay? So he couldn't walk to face Goliath. So he's like, you know what King, great, thank you for your help, but no thank you. I can't do it. He took everything off and he just took his sling and he took five smooth, small stones with him to face, to face Goliath. Amen? Why he took five? Some commentators say that actually we read that Goliath has four more brothers. So it seems like David was like, just in case his brothers come up to help him, I'm going to kill all of them. Okay. And then uh, David went down to the, the, to the valley to face Goliath. And when Goliath saw him, he just was livid. I'm like, what am I, a dog that you can come to me with a stick and sling? I'm going to kill you and I'm going to chop you into pieces and I'm going to let the birds of the, of, the, of the heaven will come and just eat you apart. So David told him, you know what, you come to me with sword and with a shield, but I come against you with the name of the Lord of hosts whom you have mocked. Amen. But David put a stone in his uh, sling and he swing it, it hits, it settled right in the forehead of Goliath and that massive giant falls down dead. Amen. The Bible tells us that David didn't have a sword in his hand, but he went, he climbed on Goliath, he drew his sword, and he cut his head with his own sword. Got Goliath's head with Goliath's sword. Amen? And then when that happened, obviously, the deal is in effect. All the children of Israel celebrated because they have won. That was the deal. 
If, if one from Israel killed Goliath, they won already. Amen? So the children of Israel celebrated and the children of Palestine at that time just fled away. So I'm just giving you all of this because we're going to pick up some verses from that chapter to read. And I want to show you guys today how uh, David's victory over Goliath is a picture of, of Jesus' victory over Satan on the cross. Amen? I remember when I was in college and... Um, I was watching David's movie and I watched that scene when David was just getting the sword out and about to hit Goliath, cut Goliath's neck, Goliath's head. And that very scene triggered my heart to say, oh my gosh, that's like what Jesus did to Satan on the cross. He chopped his head with his sword. And then I was like, man, that's good. So I, I preached that sermon when I was in college. So this sermon is from the microwave, you guys, okay? Anyways, uh, and then after that, I was reading a book from Watchman News, which I think has a lot of good books. And he also said, uh, when, when David overcame Goliath, he was pointing to Jesus' victory on the cross. I was like, hey, if Watchman Nee think this is good, then it has to be good. Amen? So let's read just a few verses uh, from verse uh, Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to talk how is that a type of Jesus' victory over uh, Jesus' victory over Satan on the cross. Uh, first, in verses three to seven, I want to highlight to you how gigantic that guy was. Um, the Bible says in verse four that he was six cubit and a span. That's literally nine feet nine inches. So this guy is almost ten feet tall. Okay. Okay, that's huge, right? I'm 5'5", five, five. that's like almost double my height. I mean, if you have a guy 6'5", it's like, man, this guy is tall. Now, this guy was 10 feet height. And it's funny that the Septuagint, which is, you guys know the Septuagint by now? The Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew before Christ. When they translated, they actually put it at four cubit, not six cubit, four cubit and a span, which put the guy at six six, six feet and six inches. Whether they did that uh, intentionally or unintentionally, whether they had a reason for it or not, we get the point that the guy was gigantic. Amen? That's the point. Amen? Um, in verse 5, we see that he has a bronze helmet on his head, and then he wear a coat, so he's wearing like a, a robe or something like that, uh, of scale armor of bronze. The coat was weighing 125 pounds. That's the, the weight of his uh, uh, robe, you know, whatever, the, the robe, that, the coat that he's wearing to go to the battle. 125. Okay, remember this guy is wearing this for a war. That means he has to be very mobile. He's, they're not going to wear something that will really put them down so heavily that they cannot move. So think about how gigantic this guy is. He's wearing 125 pounds and he can run with that no problem. Okay, that's a huge guy. Now, verse 6, we read that on his legs he wore bronze uh, graves, graves and uh, bronze javelin was slung on his back. So he has a, um, I don't know, javelin on his back and then he's wearing like bronze stuff to protect his uh, legs. Verse 7, we see that the spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. I, th I don't know what they, that exactly, I looked it up, but I wasn't able to uh, figure it out. But it's, I think, a way to grip the, the, the spear very tightly. Uh, they call that the weaver's rod. And its iron point weighed 600 shekels, which is 15 pounds. The head, just the head of the spear was 15 pounds. Okay, that gives you like a picture of how big that guy was. David at that time was 17 years old, kid, okay? So keep that in mind when you picture what happened. We're going to read random verses from 1 Samuel 17 between 8 and 52. 
Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel, that's Goliath, and he said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Palestine, and you are servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then you will... Uh, you will then we will be your servants. And if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servant and serve us. Verse 10, And the Palestinians said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Palestine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Skip to verse 16. And the Palestine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. So again, 40 days, morning and evening, mocking Israel every time, twice daily. Verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were not just afraid, dreadfully afraid. You get the point. Verse 38, so uh, David now coming in and he's volunteering. So Saul closed David with his armor and he put a, a bronze helmet on his head and also clothed him with a coat of, of mail. Verse 39, David fastened his sword on his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took the armors off. Verse 43, uh, so the Palestinians said to David, now David is going to meet him, and uh, that's what Goliath said. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Palestine cursed David by his gods. Verse 49, then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and he struck the Palestine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to, uh, on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Palestine with a sling and a stone. I love how the Bible tried to emphasize that. He prevailed over the Palestine with a sling and a stone and struck the Palestine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Palestine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with, with it. And when the Palestinians saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Everybody ran. Now the men of Israel and the men of Judah aroused and shouted. Amen. So let's talk about this story. How is that a picture of, how is David's victory over Goliath a picture of Jesus' victory over Satan on the cross? Uh, I think of at least five ways that the, the victory of David represents the victory of Christ. Number one, Jesus, uh, David came to people who have been defied and subdued. Think about it. For 40 Days, morning and night, this guy came and mocks the people of Israel, mocking their not having a single man. Remember, these are guys going to war, and they're like macho men, right? They probably brag in their abilities of being, of fighting and being men. Yet you have that gigantic guy who comes out, mock them morning and night for forty days, and says, "I just want one man from you," and they still do not present nobody. That means they have no. Man, right? That's shameful. That's very shameful for an army that they cannot come up with one 
men. And this did not happen just for one day. This happened for 40 days, morning and night. Can you imagine the, the, the feeling of the children of Israel that day? I mean, the Bible said they were dreadfully afraid. They're just scared of that guy and they feel ashamed. They feel subdued. They feel that they're humiliated. And the bad thing is they can do nothing about it, right? That is the people that David came to deliver. Amen? And isn't that a very picture of the people that Jesus has come to deliver, right? Before Jesus, we were in subjection, in, 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 in captivity to that cruel master that the Bible called Satan. And too bad we could not do anything about it. Amen? Ephesians 2 2 in which Paul is talking about our conduct the sin conduct that we had and he said in which you once walked following what the course of this world following who the prince of the power of the air that is the devil the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience Paul is saying you're, you're sinning and you're just following what Satan wants you to do and you don't have the will to say no and you don't have the will to rebel against Satan and actually do what you want, you're just doing what Satan wants. Because you were subdued and you were in captivity to Satan. Amen? First yes. John 5.19 We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. When John was saying the world, he's not the world, he's not talking about buildings and materials, he's talking about the people of the world, right? And he was used the word lies, which kind of like passively lying. Somebody like a little baby that is just helplessly and passively lying in his mom's hands or arms. And that's precisely what John was saying here. He's saying that the whole world, every single soul in this world that doesn't know Jesus is, is helplessly and powerlessly, powerlessly laying in the hand of the evil one and they cannot do anything about it. Amen? Amen. Because Satan is a master and he's a cruel master and he's keeping people in captivity. He's subduing them and he's humiliating them just like Goliath was subjecting and humiliating the people of God that day. Amen? Second Timothy 2.26 That they may come to their senses and escape of what? Of the snare of the devil. Have you ever tried to catch a bird in a snare? What do you do? Or a, or a mouse or something like that. What do you do? You entice them, right? With something that they might like. And they move toward that thing that they like. And once they, once they find that it's a snare, it's too late at that point. They're captive and they cannot get out even if they want to. Amen? Amen. And isn't that what Satan precisely does to every single person in this world? He gives you sin. And you look at sin and say, oh my gosh, this looks so good. Let me try to go and get that, right? You might be in a relationship. Oh, man, look at this other woman. She's hotter than your wife. Why don't you go after her? Oh, you might have that much money, but how about this car? Don't you want to go get this car? Maybe you need to steal it or do something about it so you can get it. And one thing after another, Satan is keep presenting to you sin after sin after sin. And I tell you, when they say the grass is always greener on the other side, that's what they do. You know that's what Satan does. Makes you think that what you have is not good enough, but what the other sin looks like is just wonderful. And you go after it, and by the time you figure out that you have ruined your life, guess what? It's too late. Amen? 
People are bound to drugs. They do that. The first time it's like, oh my gosh, this is so good. This is just wonderful. My life is fixed for the next hour or so, right? And by the time they do it again and again and again, by the time they figure out that this is bondage, it is too late. They cannot quit. Amen? Same thing with alcohol. Same thing with any sort of bondage that Satan is using. Just like Eve. Remember what Satan did? Oh, look at this fruit. Go take a bite. And she looks, oh, that is so good. And she goes there, she takes a bite, and by the time she figured out that she has done something wrong, guess what? It is too late. And friends, today I want to tell you the exact same thing. Satan is a cruel master. He's never looking out for you. He might be enticing you. He might be telling you that it's good over there. By the time you get there, guess what? It's a snare, and you have already been trapped. Amen? And Satan is not a good master to serve. I tell you that much. Amen. He's a cruel, harsh master. He'll keep on putting you down. He'll keep subduing you. And he will never give you a chance to do anything that you want. Because he's such a cruel master. Amen. And just like the children of Israel for 40 days felt the humiliation and the subjection and the defilement that Goliath kept on mocking them for 40 days, day, morning and night. And they felt that their help helpless and there's nothing they can do about it. I tell you today, that is the kind of people that David came to rescue and that is the kind of people that Jesus came to rescue. Amen? Yeah. Well, I have good news for you today. Amen? If you feel that you're being humiliated too long, if you feel that sin has put you in bondage for too long, I have some good news for you this morning. Amen? Jesus is here to deliver you once and for all. Amen? And that cruel master can be done away with once and for all if you just give Jesus a chance. Amen? Yeah. David came to people that have been subdued and defiled and mocked. And that's the kind of people that Jesus comes to. Amen? Yeah. But number two, David faced Goliath with less armor than even a soldier. Right? I mean, he went to face Goliath with what? A sling and a stone. Now, think about it. An average soldier, an average soldier going to face another soldier will be dressed or armed with a little bit more than that. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, even David, he tried. The king was like, you know what? If you're going to go face that giant, you need to be well prepared. Here is my helmet. Here is my sword. Put your shield on and get ready because you're going to go face that giant. David tried to walk in it and he couldn't. That's why he took it off. Amen? And the very moment, the very moment, look, look at me, listen to me. The very moment that David faced Goliath, Goliath David was well, less equipped than any soldier, average soldier in the children of Israel that day. Amen? Amen? And guess what? That's precisely how Jesus faced Satan on the cross. When Jesus went to face Satan on the cross, he looked less than any human being. He wasn't even a human being if you look at him. You cannot tell if he's a human being or not. Amen? Psalm 22, 6 and 15. Look at this. But I am. This is a prophecy about Jesus on the cross. Look at what Jesus said. But I am what? A worm and not a man. I am less than a man, Jesus said. I'm almost like a worm. This is him on the cross about to defeat Satan once and for all. Amen? And then it says, a reproach of men and despised by people. My strength is dried up like a butchered and my butchered. Okay. And my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me where? Into the 
dust. I tell you, you cannot get any lower than that. Amen? When you're in the dust, you're as low as you can ever get, right? But that's precisely how Jesus faced Satan. He was lower than any one of us, even when we go for a normal fight. Amen? Isaiah 52 14 just as many as were astonished at you so his passage his his pictures how he looked like was marred more than any man I use this scripture with you guys so many times and I'm gonna keep using it because it's so powerful that the Hebrew here says that Jesus was so disfigured that you cannot even tell he is a man amen you look at Jesus after has been as after he has been scourged and beaten and he's being led to the cross to face Satan once and for all you look at Jesus and you say what is this thing is this a human being? Because he's so disfigured and he's so marred from all the beating and the scourging that he has already taken and the, cor the, 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 the crown of thorns and everything else. He was so disfigured, you cannot even tell he is a human being. Amen? Amen? Amen. Yes. Isaiah 53.3 He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as we hid, as we hid, as it were, our faces from him, he from him he was despised and he was not we did not esteem him now people despised jesus when he went to the cross amen now you can this you don't despise your boss right you can despise him in your thought but you don't do actions showing that you despise him unless you want to be fired right you usually the boss can usually despise the one who can they, they work for him, right? And he can does actions that show that he despised them and for the most part he can get away with it, right? Because he's the boss. And that's precisely what the Bible says here. When Jesus went to the cross, people did actions that shows that they despised him. They, they spat at him. They, they shamed him because they thought that he is less than them. Amen? That's how Jesus went to face Satan, your oppressor, on the cross. Just like David, he was looked like and he dressed like less than an average soldier. So when Jesus went to face Satan on the cross, he was not even looking like a normal, intact human being. Amen? Amen. David faced Goliath with an armor less than a soldier. But number three... Now we're going to turn the tide around. Amen. Good news. David used Goliath's sword. Remember, David didn't have a sword, right? And after Goliath, the, the stone hit his head and he fell down, David used what sword? Goliath sword. Remember, David didn't run, didn't run back to the camp, borrow Saul's sword so he can go back and butcher uh, Goliath. He just grabbed the sword of Goliath and he killed Goliath with his own sword. And isn't that precisely what Jesus has done on the cross and how Jesus obtained victory over Satan? Amen? You see, Satan has the power of death. Why? Because he has sin on his side. And through sin, he can entice man to, to sin against God. Therefore, man falls under the penalty of death. That's why death is Satan's expertise. It's his territory. Nobody can go there. He's the boss when it comes to death. Amen? He has the power of death, the Bible says. Amen? But I have some good news for you this morning. Amen. The one who is stronger than Satan has came to his very own house and has bind him. And now he's plundering his goods. That's you and me. Amen. Amen. 
Hebrews 2.14, And as much as then the children have partakes of flesh and blood, that's you and me, have human nature, He Himself, Jesus Himself, likewise shared the same flesh and blood, just like you and me, that through what? Death. Death. He might destroy who? The one who has the power of death, that is the? devil. See, Jesus used death to defeat the one who has the power of death. Amen? And isn't that just what David did? He used Goliath's sword to kill the one who has that sword. Amen? What David did was just a type or a picture of Jesus' victory on the cross. And when Jesus died, he didn't just pay God our debt of sin that we owe God. He used that very death to ruin once and for all the one who has the power of death. That is Satan. Amen? Amen. Remember how oppressive we, we talked about Satan, how, how dominating and oppressive he is? Well, good news. Amen? When Jesus died on the cross, he abolished his power once and for all. Through death, he destroyed the one that has the power of death. Amen? Colossians 2.15, talking about the cross, talking about Jesus dying on the cross. And it says, having Jesus disarmed the principalities and the powers, he had made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over it in it, in the cross. In the cross, through death, Jesus has disarmed all the powers and principalities of hell. Amen? Yes. It's like this. When you're in the army, and you have your general. This is the guy who's like the top guy. And he has all these stars over his shoulders. And you know that every time you look at his dress and all these stars right there, you're like terrified because this guy has so much power over you. Amen? And then he tells you, hey, get down and give me seven whatever push-ups. You do what? Yes, sir. You do the seven push-ups. Amen. Now, I told you this before, I guess. And then this general gets fired. He's not with the army anymore. Amen. And then you go meet him and lo and behold, he's at Costco. And you're at Costco too. And you see him. And once he sees you, he says, get down and give me seven push-ups. You say what? No. no way. It's over. It's done. Your authority has been broken once and for all. Amen. And that's what Jesus has done to Satan on the cross. He plundered his authority once and for all and now he's a toothless lion amen, amen. revelation 1 18 i am the one who lives jesus say and was dead and behold i am alive forever amen and what did he say after that and i have the keys of hated and death remember whose territory is death actually it is Satan's, right? Because Satan has the power of death. Amen? So technically the keys should have belonged to Satan. The keys is like the authority. Amen? So these keys was belonging to Satan, I believe, at some point. Amen? But because Jesus died on the cross, and because he rose again from the dead, he took that very authority out of Satan once and for all. Amen? I have some good news for you this morning. Amen? You don't have to be worried about Satan because he has no more the keys for Hades and death. Amen? Yeah. Your Jesus has these keys once and for all. Amen? Yeah. 
And just as David took Goliath's sword and he chopped his head with that sword, so Jesus came down from heaven, became like you and me, went to the cross, and through his death, he has ruined once and for all the one who has the power of death. Amen? Yes. And today you can be set free because Jesus is in the business of setting the captives free. Amen? Yes. Amen. David used Goliath's sword. But number four, David cuts Goliath's head. He got the head. He didn't cut his arm or anything that is insignificant. He shot his head off. Amen? And isn't that precisely what Jesus did on the cross for Satan? Jesus didn't just overcome the, the small powers and principalities of hell. Amen? He didn't overcome the minor demons. Amen? When Jesus died on the cross, he ruined once and for all the very head of the kingdom of darkness. That is Satan. Amen? Genesis 3.15 We talked about this a long time ago. I will put enmity. Now God is speaking to the serpent. And he's saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, the offspring of the woman, that is Jesus, shall bruise what? Your head. Your head. And you shall bruise his heel. Jesus, the seed of the woman, bruised the head of the serpent. Amen? Now, if you have a serpent anywhere, I, I heard this, I've never done it myself, thank goodness. If you have a serpent somewhere, and you have a rock in your hand that you want to kill that serpent, and you hit that serpent in its tail as hard as you can, so much that the tail has severed. Are you done with that serpent yet? No. It's still alive and well, amen? Still come after you, right? How about if you hit it in the middle so hard that actually the serpent severed into two? Have you done the victory? No, because the head is still intact. Amen? But when Jesus came, he crushed once and for all, not parts of that serpent, but the very head of that serpent. And he has abolished its authority once and for all. Amen? And he used the very sword of that serpent to cut the serpent loose once and for all. Amen? Hebrews 2.14, we just read that verse and it says that Jesus has destroyed the one who has the power of sin, right? The word destroy here mainly, to, to literally in Greek says to abolish, to reduce to inactive. That's precisely what it, it means. It literally means that what has been gone, it is not the being, but the will being. Okay? Again, this word implies that what is done away with once and for all is not the being, but the well-being. What that means, when Jesus defeated Satan on the cross, it is not that Jesus abolished him in terms that Satan doesn't exist anymore. Amen? Because Satan does still exist. Amen? What was abolished is not the very being of Satan, but the well-being of Satan. Amen? He has lost his authority. He has lost his power. He has nothing to do right now. Again, he's a toothless lion that can do nothing to hurt you. Just like that general that has been fired that you meet at Costco. Amen? Amen. Jesus has done for us the victory just like when David accomplished the victory for his people on that mount that day in 1 Samuel 17. Amen? Amen? Now the last part, and this is the coolest part for me. I mean, they're all great, but I love this one. Number five, David guaranteed the victory of his people by his own victory, right? Yeah. Well, that was the deal, wasn't it? Yeah. The, the Goliath said, oh, we don't have to fight. Just give me one man. If I kill him, we win. If he kills me, 
You win, right? And guess what? David killed him. So who won? That David and the children of Israel. We actually read that at the very last verse. Actually, let's turn back to it. Verse 51 uh, and 52. The last two lines here, and it says, And when the Palestinians saw that their champion was dead, they what? Fled. And when the men of Israel, of Judah, um, now the men of Judah, the men of Israel and Judah, aroused and shouted. Do you see what happened? Once, once Goliath fell dead at the feet of David, victory is accomplished for the children of Israel. Amen? Yeah. Question. How much fighting did the children of Israel have to do? How many, how many swords need to be like entangled and how many people of the children of Israel need to die to accomplish that precious victory? None. None. The only person who did the fight, the only person who guaranteed the victory was David. And friends, it's the exact same story for you and me. Amen? Jesus' victory on the cross guarantees your victory and my victory over the power of darkness once and for all. Amen? Yeah. We don't even have to fight for it. Amen? It's already done. It's not about what you can accomplish. It's about what Jesus has already accomplished on the cross. Amen? Yeah. Let me repeat that again. This is so good. It is not what about what you can accomplish. It's about what Jesus has already accomplished on the cross. Amen? Yeah. Once Goliath fell, all the children of Israel shouted and they chased these Palestinians and got all their goods once and for all because they know they have won the war. Amen? And Jesus' victory today guarantees your victory once and for all. Let's look at this. 2 Corinthians 2.14. This is from the NIV. Very cool scripture. Look at this. But thanks be to God, who very frequently, how often? Every now and then. Most of the time. Most of the time. Does it say most of the time? It says Say what? Always. always. How much is always is? Always. always. That's how much percentage of the time. It's 100% of the time. When Satan defeats you, guess what? You're still victorious. Amen? Yes. Positionally in Christ. Amen? Yes. Even when you, when you win, you win. You're still victorious. But when you lose, you're still as victorious in the sight of, I, in the sight of God. Amen? Yes. Because it's not about what you can do. It's about what Jesus has done. Amen? Yes. You're always being led in triumph. Look how the NIV put that verse. Leads us as captives. This is very interesting. As captive in Christ's triumphal positions and uses us positions and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Yes. It says that leads us captive right because that very Greek word that Paul used here is literally the exact same word when when a, an army general conquers his enemies and he leads captive out of that army out of his enemies and they just walking humiliated because they have been defeated it's the exact same word so that word implies you have been led captive and you have nothing like you, you have no choice in it you are being led captive but the context tells us if you're being captive in human or you're being led captive in glorification. Amen? It's what the context tell you that word precisely means. Amen? And here it is not the context of humiliation. It is the context, the context of glorification. It is that idea that there is a general that has won the battle once and for all and has set so many people free. And then they just bathe them, they clean them, they fed them, they put the nicest clothes and the nicest jewelry on them. And then everybody's the general up front and everybody in that procession going through the town. And when people 
look at those who were once captive in misery and how they have been glorified and how they've been lifted up. They can't help it but praise Him who gave them that victory. Amen? Yes. It is not praising them for the victory. It's praising Him who gave them that victory. Amen? Amen? And that's precisely what Paul is telling us here. We are being led captive after we have been washed and cleaned and adorned and have been glorified in so many ways. And we are being always led in that procession of victory. And Jesus is our forefront runner because He's the one who has accomplished the victory for us. Amen? Amen. In other words, what Paul was saying is this. Every time people People around you see what Jesus has done in your life they can't help it but to praise Jesus for what he has accomplished in you amen every time the angels of heaven see how you have been lifted up they can't help it but to praise the one who has accomplished the victory for you on the cross amen and every time Satan and his angels look at you and how you have been lifted up to be a child of the Most High God they can't help it but even against their will one day they will worship the knee and praise Him who have granted you the victory. Amen? Amen? Because when you look at how we have been glorified, you can't help it but to praise Him who has accomplished that victory for us on the cross. Amen? Amen. Can we say this verse together? This is just so good. Amen? Amen. Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal positions. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Here's a good analogy for you guys, okay? I, I'm not a big sports fan, but let's say you have uh, your favorite uh, uh, football team. And let's say that your football team is going to play the Super Bowl game, okay? And you're really excited about your team because there's a 50% chance that your team will win the Super Bowl. That's a big thing, right? So you cook a lot of food, you invite a lot of people, and you can't wait 10, 15 minutes, well, half an hour before the game. You turn the TV on and you're sitting on the couch. You're really excited about your team playing the football game, the Super Bowl game, and possibly win it. Amen? And the game starts, and sadly, the other team keep on winning. Right? And they keep scoring one point after another. And now, you're not very happy with the game, right? And every single minute that passes by, you get more frustrated and more upset because your team is uh, losing. And the chances of you ever getting the Super Bowl is getting slimmer and slimmer by that minute. Amen? And somehow in the last five, seven minutes in that game, your quarterback somehow managed to score three touchdowns and you guys won the game once and for all. Amen? And that was the best game you could ever imagine because your quarterback accomplished something so mighty. Amen? Alright, now I want you to imagine this. Let's say a week later, you decided you want to watch this game again. It's just so good. Okay, you want to watch it again and just see exactly what happened. So I want you to think with me about your attitude in these two times when you're watching the game, okay? First time you're watching the game, you're very not happy, right? People try to talk to you and you're just being so cranky with them, right? You have tons of food that you have made and you're not eating a bite. 
You're not happy about the whole thing. You're just being a, not a good person. You're not a good mood because you know that there's a big chance now that you're going to lose the, the, the game, right? And this chance is not getting better. It's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse, right? And it's just overall a bad experience. And every time the other team scores a point, you're just, man, I'm just mad and angry. And you might even quit the game in the middle because you're just so devastated. Amen? Alright, now let's say a week later you want to watch the game again, okay? Now you're sitting in the couch, you're inviting your friends, you have a big cookout, and you're watching the game one more time, amen? amen? How will your attitude be the second time you watch the game? You're probably going to be very happy, right? You can see your, the other team scoring a point against you, and you're just cracking jokes and not so worried about it. Right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, you, somebody, one of your friends can say, well, you know, it's only 15 minutes left in the game and the chances are if you winning that game is almost next to impossible and you're not super stressed over it. Why? Because you know that your quarterback has accomplished the victory for you. Amen? Yes. And I tell you, this should be our attitude as believers while we live in this world. I tell you, there will be a lot of things that Satan is going to throw at us. There will be a lot of things that the world is going to throw at us. Oh God, why I'm single? Oh God, why I'm married? Oh God, why I can't find a job? Oh God, why I'm sick? Oh God, why this? Oh God, why that? But I tell you today, if you focus your eyes on the victory that Jesus has accomplished for you on the cross, you will not worry about these pity points that Satan is scoring against you. Amen? Because one day we're going to be in heaven once and for all and we're going to glean the fruit of this redemption that Jesus has done for us. And I tell you that all the trouble that Satan and the world have thrown your way will diminish the very second that you see Jesus once and for all. Amen? Fix your eyes on that victory. Don't look at what Satan is throwing your way. This is pity points. Satan can win battles but he will never win the war because Jesus has already accomplished the victory on the cross for us. Amen? Thank you. Amen? Yes. Romans 8, 35-39. Look at what Paul said. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Paul said, verse 37. No, Paul said, in all these things we are what? More than conquerors in Him who loved us. Amen? Wait a minute, Paul. Wait a minute. Oh, hold on, hold on here. This just doesn't make any sense. Let me ask you guys. Maybe Paul is trying to fool us a little bit here. Have you ever seen a description of someone who is a victorious conqueror? Amen? Who is experiencing this? Hardship, trouble, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, and being led to the slaughter? Is this a description for somebody who is a conqueror? And no, it's not. If that's a conqueror, I don't know what a loser looks like. Amen? This is a description of somebody who is a loser. But the point that Paul is making is this. And in spite of all of this, our victory is not dependent on what we're going through. Amen? Our victory is dependent on what Jesus has already accomplished for us on the cross. And since because no one, nothing can ever separate us from the love of Christ, therefore we are always victorious in spite of whatever we're going through. Amen? That's not a big amen. Amen? Amen. And then he explained that in verse 38. For I am... 
For I am convinced, here is the explanation of why he's confident of the victory. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present or future, nor the present or the future, um, nor any power, neither height or depth or any else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, it's a good time to say hallelujah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Jesus accomplished the victory. Don't be focused on the minor stuff that Satan throwing your way. Jesus has already accomplished the victory. And when you go to heaven, you're going to be laughing at yourself that you were so pitiful that you thought about the small things. Amen. Amen. Let me just close with that verse, 2 Corinthians 6, 9. Now, this is the attitude again of Paul focusing on the victory of Christ. And he said, we might be in front of the people and in ourselves, what? Dying. Yet we live on. Amen. We might be beaten, but yet we're not killed. Amen. We might be sorrowful, yet we're always rejoicing. We might be poor, yet we make many rich, having nothing, and yet we possess everything. Now that's the attitude of somebody who has their eyes victory on the cross and on the victory that Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Amen? Jesus, David's victory over Goliath is a shadow, a picture of Jesus' victory over Satan on the cross. Amen? Yes. Two things here today. If you're here today and you're like one of the children of Israel, just let me close with this thought. One of the children of Israel experiencing for 40 days the humiliation and the defilement of Goliath. And this guy is just ruining your life. And he's just keep on making you miserable. Amen? I have some good news for you today.